Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Straw Hut Media. God, I wish I could whistle so badly. I can't okay. whistle. Do you I've know been this practicing. about me? I, I, that was me whistling inward. That was like inward singing. People have tried to tell me that whistling inward is easier. Oh, yeah. Well, I agree because that's the only way I can do it. Here's an exhale. Oh, okay. Uh, our dear friend Jose, shout out Jose, can do the like in a whistle. It's the wildest thing I've ever heard. Ah, yeah. I can make a lot of other sounds quite well. Oh, you're famed for it. And yet, you and your sounds. I can't fucking whistle, and it drives me insane. Well, give us a sound of what that you can do well, other than a wind blowing through, like. An open window. <laughs> a sound I can do well. That ain't bad. That ain't been the glass. Let me just give you an Ave Maria very quickly. So oh, I heard this interesting podcast. Well, hey, Kelsey Harmon. Well, hi, Mike Amico. Welcome to another episode of So I Heard This Interesting Podcast, the podcast about podcasts. Kelsey, what do we do here every week? We listen to podcasts. We talk about podcasts. We rate them. We review them. We take recommendations. We give recommendations. Boy, do we. We give a lot of recommendations. Um, I started last week. I talked about the podcast Noble Blood. Yes. And I went kind of in backwards order for dramatic effect. Because the last... And let me tell you, the drama was palpable. I, You know what? I saw the... You could palp it. (laughs) I I saw the goosebumps on your arms the whole time. As soon as I said, the second death of Marie Antoinette. (gasps) So um, that was actually the first episode of this series. And I think they did a good job marketing because they were like, here's someone absolutely recognizable in pop culture. Right. Um, And then from there, it got a little more obscure, but not less interesting. And overall, I'm like really enjoying... I love obscurity. That's also interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're I'm, jumping right in. We're jumping right in. Oh my god, I love this. Is there something we're else so we want to talk about? Do I no. too fast? No. Okay. The water's warm. Yes, it is. So, um, as I've talked about previously on the show, I lived in Paris for a little while, and I was what? Yeah, yep, 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 yep. That's why I say things like "go to Provence" so convincingly. It is very convincing. You know, it's actually been kind of a, um, this is going to feel like, like a, what do they call it? Like a backdoor brag? Uh, a humble, humble brag. brag. It's going like to feel like a backdoor brag, though. It's going to feel like that. Sounds like a naughty version. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to sound like a humble brag a little bit. Um, but it has actually been like kind of problematic in that I speak some French, sure. Sure. But I have um, a pretty decent French accent you got a great accent and it makes people think i speak a lot more french than i actually do and so they will just start 
going off. And I'm like, oh, my French is actually good for like Psych. buying wine. Right. And that's most of it. Uh, anything beyond something transactional, I'm going to really right. struggle with. You can fool people. Yeah, but they are fooled. And I, and I think it comes from being a musician. Yeah, you've got an ear. you got a good ear. At hearing a sound and repeating it. Yeah. You know? I can do a great Spanish accent for the... Um, uh, at Disneyland, when you're like getting off a r- on a ride, and they give you the, do you want to hear it? Yes, I do. Okay, okay. Para tu seguridad, mantenga tus manos, brazos, pies y piernas dentro del tren. Bravo! Bravo! <laughs> We're straight to Italian, but that is yeah. <laughs> but I'm Gracias. so very imp- impressed. Thank you. Thank you. That's that was fantastic. About it. I do that to people. I don't know how like, to ride the ride because I don't speak any Spanish, but I can tell that it was very official. Keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the train is basically what I'm saying. Para tu seguridad. Let's see if I can do that in French. Okay. Hands, arms, feet, and legs? Well, something like that, yes. In any order, you know. Prioritize the limb you want to prioritize. Mm, il faut garder les mains, les bras, les jambes, et les pieds, dit-on. Le, I don't know the word for ride. Listen. Was it in Spanish? Uh, I have to say, take it from the top. <laughs> inside the train. It's not while you ride. Ah, le train. Keep these things inside. Oh, say that again. Le train. Oh. Gardez les mains, les bras, les jambes, les pieds, dit-on le train pendant le experience <laughs> well anyway, that's great I was like not bad I feel like for a live translation on this spot I'm feeling okay about that do not make me live translate anything unless it's the lyrics to La Bamba because I can do that because you can do that great yes I can she's um, a, a oh really God. really good ice ice baby as well oh yes I do um, I love that we jumped in the pool and we and stepped we just, back we out right back quick, out it was a little chilly for a quick dry off yeah. And now, now I we're feel back the water has warmed up enough Absolutely. that we can really get back in. The jets, they've been on. The water is bubbling. <laughs> we're ready to relax. There's a bottle of, what is this wine? Côte de Provence. Sitting on the on the steps of the, or right next to the hot tub. Oh, yeah. I, we're in a hot tub now, We're absolutely way. in a hot tub. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, so last week I talked about Noble Blood and how I wanted to cover specifically the second death of Marie Antoinette because when I was a tour guide in Paris. The second death? This is called The Second Death of Marie Antoinette, and we'll get to why it's called that. Oh, my God. As I go along. Um, Yeah, so I was a tour guide in Paris, and I used to give tours of Versailles, and I just talked about Marie Antoinette very extensively because I I felt like she was a tragic character in history. Mm -hmm. Um, In this podcast, again, I think that maybe they were a little bit overly kind to her because yes, I remember saying she this. was not perfect. Mm. And again, I said, I was thinking of Dan Carlin talking about the Mongols and that we're so far from something in history that we can't remember how horrible something was. And it's totally. easier for us to have a fonder memory of something. Oh, for sure. There's like, no like visceral connection anymore. Exactly. I probably and said that exactly last week, that visceral very, connection. Very possible. <laughs> he actually, um, in that series on the Mongols, he said um, that he thinks eventually you're going to have people talking about like, well, let's talk about the good things the Nazis did because we're going to get so distant from what happened. Yeah. No one left alive Mm. that they're going to talk about like, well, they invaded France and they made the trains work faster. And maybe that wasn't so bad. Oh my God. That's a really good comparison. And that makes me want to. Right. It makes us feel sick now because there are still people alive from that time. And we can't imagine being sympathetic to them right now. But he said that like, eventually you're going to get people who rewrite history in a, in a, just such a distant 
um, yeah. future that they, they can't really connect with how horrible it was. Right. So I think that Marie Antoinette in Noble Blood was maybe talked about a little too fondly. And mm-hmm. she, in um, Dana Schwartz, the author, um, she's an author who also hosts this podcast. She kind of tells the whole story in this, this sort of somber, tragic voice because oh. she's really just talking about Marie Antoinette's last days. Okay. Um, and it was not good. She was not treated well. Oh. Um, but we'll get to that. Okay. So let me ask you first, Kelsey. I what, don't like where this what, is going what do you at know? all. I don't like where <laughs> this is going at all. No, 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 I just use you as, as the everyman. You know, Am I, 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 have, I have a special education about Marie Antoinette. I was That's paid true. to learn three centuries of French history. Yeah. And and most people weren't. So yes. if I ask you what you know about Marie Antoinette, what do you, what do you know? She what said, comes to mind? She said, let them eat cake. Mm-hmm. Right? False, but... Some, oh, that's right. You told me that she didn't actually, but that... that but yes, associated that with her. Absolutely. Associated with her. Um, Kirsten Dunst played her in a movie. Sure. <laughs> she was my wild. used to bring that up all the time, and I've actually never seen that movie. So. Oh, my God. Well, she was, like, very frivolous, and, like, the hair, the wigs, the makeup, the food, everything was very gluttonous. Yes. Okay, and Lived all that stuff is true. a lavish lifestyle. Okay. All that stuff for sure is true. Um, yes. The let the meat cake thing is something that's, like... Um, do you remember actually after Donald Trump was elected that there yes. was a, there was a uh, a meme that went around on Twitter that was him saying like Republicans are easy to win over because all they'll listen to anything that they hear on Fox News. Oh no, I did not know that. Yeah, that went around like wildfire for a little while because it sounded so true. Yeah, totally false. Someone he just, never said that. No, he never said that. Someone yeah. just made it up. But there was so much hatred for him that it was very easy to believe he would say something totally. like that. You know, right? Um, and she was victim of the same kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, and it's like it was, because they would say it, it's like, ah, they pretty much said it. They probably They're said say, it. They've been saying it for years. Yeah, exactly. They've always said it. They've always said it. <laughs> and, and so that's kind of where that came from. They actually don't even have anyone they can directly attribute it to. Some people think it was her mother, Maria Teresa. Some mm. people think it was Voltaire. It's all... That sounds like Voltaire. It's now that vo- you said that, <laughs> everything I know about Voltaire, that tracks. <laughs> so... Uh, anyway, it's it's one of those funny things that's been attributed to her forever, but there's no evidence she ever said it. Um, they're pretty certain she didn't ever say it, um, but uh, and there's no evidence that anyone ever said it. Oh my god! Like if if they if someone said it, they can't figure out who. But okay. it's been famously attributed to her, but it's false. Okay. Um, some other false things and first things to know about her is that um, she was not French. She was. Austrian. I was about to say Austrian, but I was too afraid. I'm too afraid to get something dangerously wrong. No, no, no. I dangerous would be more like embarrassing. Well, and, and I'm using you as um as a as a pawn. No, as a a control group. Uh, yeah, exactly, as a control group to understand so that everyone, the listeners, understand that like popular culture about her doesn't expand very well on who she was. Gotcha. Right. So she was not French. She was Austrian, and her name was not Marie Antoinette. Um. So she was the... It was Ethel Antoinette. (laughs) (laughs) It was Ethel Beavers. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So uh, I wanted to actually use this episode to not only sort of deep dive into the Noble Blood episode about her, but I'm going to supplement that with my own research that I did when I was giving tours about her. Oh, cool. Because I just learned so much about her because I found her so fascinating. So I'm going to sort of blend the two. I'm not going to make distinctions about what came from where because that's going to be too much Mm. ad-libbing. I hate distinctions. It's too many parentheticals. Um, But 
uh, I will say that the podcast largely focuses on the very end of her life. Okay. And I'm going to kind of try to walk you through a decent timeline from Ooh. when she was about 13 until her death during the French Revolution. So Spoiler should we alert. strap on our powdered wigs and get ready for a historical <laughs> get your a revolution? Ready? <laughs> yes. Okay, so Marie Antoinette was the youngest and 15th daughter of Maria Theresa, who is the Empress of Austria. Okay. The Habsburgs essentially have culturally defined Austria to this day. So this is an incredibly powerful family. Um, her name was Maria Antonia. Um, she was 13 when she was betrothed to Louis XVI, who was the Dauphin, which is a word they use to mean the heir to the French throne. Mm. And this was Louis XVI. Yes. This was a... The Getty had a great exhibition on Louis XVI. Continue. Did it really? Yes. I wish I would have seen that. It was a while ago, yeah. I wish I would have seen that. Um, So this was a strategic alliance between Austria and France because Austria was considered the traditional enemy of France. Meaning that essentially whenever they wanted to go to war to take some new land as a way of creating new taxpayers, they went to war with Austria. Yeah. So the long, long history of war together. And so they, um, as children of monarchs, were sort of used as pawns to forge alliances because then the mm-hmm. air would be of the two countries and all yes. that stuff, right? Um, it makes so sense. That was the strategy here. So upon arriving in France, she's stripped of everything of her that is of Austrian heritage. So they take all of her clothes, they kind of separate her, they cut her off from all of her friends, and they even take away her dog. Oh, no. Um, what was it? Like an Austrian schnoodle or something? Yes, exactly. An Austrian schnitzel schnoodle. Schnitzel schnoodle. <laughs> uh, made that term up. It's not a dog. Anyway, um, they changed her name to Marie Antoinette mm. because it's something that would sound more French. Yeah. Um, in this episode, Dana Schwartz, the narrator, she calls this the first death. Of Marie Antoinette. Oh, because poetic. Because she was, her identity was changed entirely. Right. So despite all of this stuff, um, she was never accepted as French. And her Austrian heritage would always be held against her, both at the royal court and by the French people. Well, that doesn't sound very fair. I don't like that at all. No. She didn't want to do all of this. Well, she probably did a little bit. I mean, yeah. it was an arranged marriage. Yeah. You know? And she was just told, you're going to France now, and you're yeah. going to be a, become a French princess and become the Dauphine, it was. Ah, yes. Um, so she goes there when she's 13. When she's 14, her and Louis XVI, the Dauphin, are married. Get it on. Continue. Well, you're on the right they track. They don't get it on. Because it was customary for the royal court to observe the consummation of a marriage. That is a bummer practice right yeah. there. They would draw a curtain around the bed, but the court was meant to be in the room while it happened to ensure that it had actually happened. Um, Ugh, do they like parade the sheets around or some shit like that? Uh, not that I ever heard of. It okay. wouldn't totally surprise me, but I think I've seen not that somewhere. I've heard of. I didn't make that up right. Um, That's a thing. I haven't heard it, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Oh, I feel really there are a lot gross of about very, myself. Very, very strange sure that was a court practices. Yeah. That Louis Fourteenth actually was the one who created those. Maybe the He's exhibition the at the built. Getty was about Louis XIV. It was about a Louis. I think it was Lu- the, the Sun King. Who's the Sun King? Is that Louis XIV, who's the man who built Versailles. Great. Okay, so the exhibition was about him. Continue. Also a fascinating guy. Right. Um, and he did a lot of things with the court to ritualize basically everything as a way of keeping the nobility sort of distracted from trying to dethrone him. Yes. He uh, ceremon- ceremonialized. Yeah. Is the word I'm using? Oh, absolutely. Everything. Great. There was a waking ceremony. People come and wake him up in the morning, and that was like a... That was like a prestigious position to, to hold. He did all that kinds of... That is like of, the most 
hilarious strategy that's ever worked. And worked incredibly well. Yeah. He had a... And Louis Fourteenth also outlived all of his children and all of his grandchildren. He was... Just yeah. won't die. The dude just won't die. Well, it's all those ceremonies, the ceremonial brushing of the teeth. I would not be surprised if that was one of them because sure. the ceremonial emptying of the chamber pot was one of them. Oof. So, anyway. What a shit job. I digress. Literally. Sorry. <laughs> We're off on a tangent. Keep We're off going. on a tangent already. So, they are married at 14 um, and the court is gathered on the consummation bed. And here I'm going to like point out really quickly that Louis XVI was this like chubby, shy, and very awkward guy. And he found himself married to this incredibly beautiful and charming woman. And you'd think that when they get into bed together, they're going to like horny 14-year-olds like going to get it on. I don't like hearing horny 14-year-olds wow. continue though. Uh Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Nothing happens. Well, yeah, they're two children. Children in a bed surrounded by a bunch of adults. I'm imagining like a baby Danny DeVito and a baby Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. And they're not going to know what's happening. Pretty much. Um, Oof. So nothing really happens there. And that's not like really such a big deal um, when young heirs were married like that it actually was not uncommon to observe the ceremony but assume that you would stand in the room for a certain amount of time and then leave so this wasn't like really troublesome news to everybody yeah the problem is that nothing continued to happen gotcha so um i'm gonna kind of jump into one of my favorite stories from my old versailles tour if anyone is listening i know i actually have a few listeners from shout out fat tire bike tours who i used to work for in paris i know a few of them listen so you guys will probably enjoy this um uh, story that I used to do on my Versailles tour. So the one job of the queen is to produce an heir to the throne. Yeah. That's essentially her sole concrete responsibility. And it's not happening. Well, it's great because it's like 100% in her control. She can totally do it It when she wants, you know, how she wants. She just gets to snap her fingers and make that happen. So yeah, exactly. Who do you think they blame when the queen isn't producing an heir? Well, everybody else because it's not her fault. Yeah. Well, they thought it was her fault. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they said this is absolutely her fault. Um, and the rest of the court was already looking for reasons to really hate her because she was Austrian. And this was considered her failing. And rumors went around that she was a frigid, unfeeling lesbian. Oh. And that's why she was not producing an heir. Um, and it's almost funny if it wasn't so tragic that the rest of the country would later spread these rumors about her hosting these massive orgies oh, and no. even seducing her own children. Oh, no. But that all comes a little bit later. Okay. So, as time goes on, and there's still no heir to speak of, her mother, Maria Theresa, the Empress of Austria, a very Mm. powerful woman, she gets nervous because this is a pretty fragile alliance. 
Yeah. And she's like, I sent you there to do one thing. And totally. You're not it's doing not that happening. Thing, and I'm getting nervous. So she sends Marie's brother, Joseph, to investigate the situation. And the story goes that he took a little walk with Louis. Mm. And he asked him to explain exactly what was going on between him and his sister. Yeah. In the bedroom in detail. I don't like where that's going. Um. And it turned out the attitude towards sex at the time were so conservative that nobody really talked about it to the point that Louis didn't understand exactly how it was supposed to work. Oh. Um, and I had would have kids on my tour sometimes, so I'd use a special analogy for the parents. And I'd say um, that he was putting the key in the lock. Gotcha. And he's just leaving it there. And it turns out that you have to <laughs> turn jiggle the key in the lock a little bit oh if you want to get it to open. <laughs> this is how I would explain it on my uh, on my tours. I mean, a very poignant metaphor. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> really gets the point across. Jam it in there. Yeah. Um, so after this pep talk, Marie Antoinette is magically pregnant. Oh, good. Yeah. Worked. Okay. He just needed a slap on the back and go go get her, champ. Absolutely. A little you know? Gatorade, slap yeah. on the tush, send him in, coach. <laughs> um, so their first child was a girl. And Marie is quoted saying, poor little girl, you are not what was desired, but you're no less dear to me on that account. A son would have been the property of the state, and you shall be mine. Oh, that's really nice. And they wanted to have three more children. And by all accounts, she really, really loved them. And there's actually still a portrait of her and all four of her children hanging in Versailles that you can see. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So despite... a portrait. And it's it's a very sweet portrait. That's why my home is covered in them. <laughs> exactly. Um, so despite fulfilling her queenly duties, she was not popular at court. And she kind of started to retreat more from court life whenever it was possible. It's actually a small house in on the grounds of Versailles. That's, what reason? Like, why? She starts retreating because she's not liked. Why didn't they like her? Because people are mean to her. Just people are mean. People are just unpleasant. They're scrutinizing everything she's doing and gotcha. using it as fodder against her. Yeah. And so she just starts to appear less and less at court. Gotcha. She has a certain amount of responsibility where she must be there, but she doesn't have to be there. She's not there anymore. Um, there's actually a, a little chateau called the Petit Trianon, a little house separate mm. from the the main chateau itself out on the grounds where she really spent a lot of her time with a small circle of close friends. Um, well, that's kind of nice, I guess. It didn't really help, though, because the more no. that she disappeared, yeah, the more that people make... speculated about what she the was more doing. more the fodder, so you know. it didn't really work out for her. Um, she did eventually even commission the construction of what's called Le Hameau de la Reine, which is the Queen's Hamlet. And this was a fake peasant village. Oh my. Where she would go out and pretend to be a milkmaid. Little town in a quiet village. It looks exactly like that. Oh. Because it is still there. I feel like that would be, uh, I want to take, I'm going to take that back. I was going to say, that sounds kind of fun, but I don't think. I think it was fun for her. Yes. She fantasized. Her, it would be fun. About living a simpler life and she would go out and pretend to be a milkmaid. Oh, just milk some maids. I don't know how. That's <laughs> cows, I think, is what okay, you mean. That's what I mean. <laughs> cows, not maids. Uh, <laughs> milking a maid would be a different thing. The maids are spectating. Yeah. <laughs> she would go out there and she would pretend to be a, a milkmaid. Um, and this came at a great expense to the French taxpayers. Yeah. Who were funding the construction of her fake peasant village that mm. didn't actually resemble the life mm. they were living at all. It was a Disneyland version of it. Um, Para tu seguridad. And they did eventually find out about this thing and they were pissed 
Um, but it's just one of many, many examples of her extravagances. Yeah. That she spent money very frivolously and was more concerned with sort of new fashion trends yeah. that she was setting at court than she was with right. anything related to governing. Gotcha. And she kind of had a, a reputation for being sort of detached. They're like, well, she's an Austrian and she doesn't care about what's going on in France. Mm, that which doesn't help. is potentially true. And what exactly was going on in like Paris specifically, France at large, like were things... Were... Well, this is a perfect question to transition me oh, into... excellent. ...the beginning of the French Revolution. Oh, okay. Well, yes, I've heard of it. So I'm going to try to briefly walk you through sort of what leads us to the French Revolution. Okay. Um, oh my God, this is quite the episode you're tackling. You're just going to briefly go through I'm going to try to briefly go through that and keep it about Marie Antoinette, but I think it's important to have some context. So Love context. Firstly, there's the American Revolution that's just Oh, happened. so now we're going back to the... Yes. So France basically bankrolled the American Revolution. Yeah. Which plunges France into insane, unbelievable debt, right. which to counteract, they just raise taxes. Okay. Um, there's also the Enlightenment going on, which has everyone questioning equality and why the king and queen get to be king and queen. Yeah. Um, Fair question. And on top of that, there's a massive famine going on. Okay. And so people are starving. And this drives a greater French population to absolute desperation. And desperate people do desperate things. Would you say desperate times call for desperate measures? I would. I okay. would say that. I that would. sounds like something you would say. Uh, <laughs> so mobs start marching out to Versailles to demand changes from the flash nobility. mobs. Not that. Not kind. so much flash mobs, more violent mobs. Gotcha. Um, they're marching out to Versailles to demand changes from the nobility, and they're targeting Marie as their scapegoat because she's a foreigner, and it just makes her an easy target. Um, one of these mobs of women actually come. All the way to Versailles, they break down the gates to the chateau and they storm the palace with the intent on killing Marie Antoinette. And she only escapes by using a secret door in her bedroom that leads to her husband's bedroom. Mm. And you can actually, on the tour of Versailles, you can see that secret door. Oh, cool. Yeah. I love a secret door. Honestly, Versailles has made some money after this. Uh, so this brings us to July 14th, 1789, which is still celebrated as Bastille Day in France because this is the date of the storming of the Bastille. True or false, this is your favorite holiday. Yeah, it's probably my favorite holiday. Yeah, I, I so. just was able to celebrate it this last July on my trip. And it was so fun. Ugh. They shoot fireworks off of the Eiffel Tower. It's incredible. Oh, well, dang. Um, so they storm the Bastille. And now these mobs, they're armed to the teeth with military-grade weapons. And they insist the king and queen leave Versailles. And they come back to Paris where everyone can kind of keep a closer eye on them until they decide what they want to do next. Um, but revolutionary fervor is really escalating. And it's decided the only course of action is to execute the king and queen to establish a new republic. Um, that's, I mean, that's what I was going to get to. I assume that's for yeah. you knew that that was a logical next step. Absolutely. So it's decided that Louis will be first because he's the actual head of the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's brought from his prison to the guillotine in an enclosed carriage. And he's beheaded in front of a massive crowd. I mean, could you imagine just like a public execution? Actually, Dan Carlin had an excellent podcast called uh, Painful Tame. Painfotainment? Pain f- uh, a mixture of pain and entertainment. Painfotainment, I'll take it. I think it was called Painfotainment. It was like, uh, it was, on- I think only one episode, which is rare because he usually has like six parters. Right. But it was a few hours and it was really about public executions and like mob mentality and just like the 
freaking crazy fervor within all like the group and like chanting for more and like personal accounts of people in the audience listening to like women and every everyone like crying out for more violence yeah. it was wild they had some truly creative ways of, of uh torturing people oh yeah i mean they had ways of like skinning people alive like and keeping them alive through the whole thing if they were a skilled executioner it was said they could keep someone alive through a skinning through a skinning a proper skinning yeah jeez so, louise but because he is the king it's actually like a quite more somber somber celebration um somber celebration <laughs> somber celebration mm, i don't know somber occasion yeah um in fact, when he was beheaded, you would think there would be this like massive cheer, but there was actually absolute silence. And because the crowd realized that like we've killed the king and there's yeah. no turning back now. No. Like we have set ourselves on a course that yeah. is there is no turning away. The only way is to go forward. And the weight of that seemed to really kill land <laughs> on this crowd. They couldn't wait to kill the queen, yeah. let me tell you. Oh, okay. Though they did for about ten months. Um so I'll talk briefly Who's now. ruling in his stead? So there's a guy named Maximilien Robespierre. Ah, yes. That's also and how I pronounce it. Yes, Robespierre is a leader of sort of the Revolutionary Tribunal mm. um, who will eventually find himself beheaded during the French Revolution. So joke's on him. Um, so getting back to where we were, um, I'm going to jump into her children. So she had four children. Okay. Two of them died in above natural causes because it was just life expectancy. It was not what it used to be. Yeah. And she has two children left. And while she's in prison... The boys, girls, what's her... One boy, one girl. Okay. Yeah. So we have her oldest daughter, who also was named Maria Therese after her mother. Right, right. And then there's Louis Charles, who um, is the 10-year-old Dauphin. And now that Louis XVI is dead, he's the heir to the throne. Gotcha. Um, So they're all in prison, but separated from each other. But the guards started taking Louis Charles to the prison that Marie Antoinette was in Mm. um, for his re-education, they Mm. called it. And they were going to re-educate him in the ways of the revolution. And they did it right next to Marie Antoinette's cell so she could hear everything that was going on. Um, And the guards would force him to drink wine until he was plastered as a 10-year-old. And then they would beat him until he admitted that he hated his parents and that they were traitors and forced him to admit his mother had sexually abused him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, that is heinous. It's awful. Um, it just goes to show, like, how much she was hated. Right. She was scapegoated as being the problem. So um, there was not going to be any mercy for her anywhere oh God, along the way. I imagine she's listening to the whole thing. The whole thing. Jesus. Um, in the podcast, uh, they actually say that there's a point when moving in and out of herself, she hit her head on a door frame mm. accidentally. And the guard asked her if she was okay. And she said, nothing can hurt me anymore. Um, she was then moved to a truly terrible prison called the Conciergerie. Oh, that was like fancy prison, that one? She was in a, um, basically under house arrest okay. in a noble prison called Le Temple, the okay. temple beforehand. And then she's moved to the Conciergerie um, where she'd only be known as prisoner number 280. Uh, and I would call this the second death of Marie Antoinette, personally. Okay. Because she's been stripped of all of her titles, of her name, of everything. Um, but don't worry, it's a trilogy. So she so. has a third death. Yes. Well, the death. The death. The death. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, after a year and a half in prison, it's finally time for her trial in front of the Revolutionary Tribunal. So is this like 10 months before this is when Louis dies? Correct. Okay. Correct. Way to listen. Good timeline. I'm really trying to keep track. Yeah, of I know. It's a lot of information. 
So Louis the Sixteenth, her husband, had been given a team of lawyers to make a case for himself, even though it was pretty much pointless. They call these kangaroo courts. I don't know if you've heard that term before. But essentially, any time that a state has set up something that looks like a trial, but it's all been fixed from the beginning. Gotcha. You have a, a sort of slang term that's a kangaroo court. Yeah, I call it a koala court, but whatever. Right, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, so, I mean, pick your animal. <laughs> one marsupial to another. So uh, the king gets his his lawyers and all that stuff, but Marie Antoinette's not going to get any of these courtesies. Um, they ran down a list of charges accusing her of being an Austrian spy, mm. of manipulating her husband, which goes to show the difference of how they viewed the king and the queen, where they said, you manipulated our king into these sort of problem right. areas. It's your fault. Well, women are master manipulators. Aren't they? Um, and she took all this very quietly without any challenge until the last accusation, which was that she had sexually abused her son. Yeah, that's so fucked up. Yeah. And she said, if I have not replied to this accusation, it's because nature itself refuses to respond to such a charge laid against a mother. And I appeal to all mothers who may be present. And the women in the audience sort of softened and started to say that, like, this might be a little too far. Yeah. And they dropped that charge out of fear that she might be gaining some sympathy from the mob. And they're like, never mind, never mind, moving on. Let's go back to the other <sighs> I stuff. I never said that. <laughs> there you all agree. Take that it, back. Right? And of course, this wasn't enough. And she sentenced to death by, di- by guillotine. Now, while her husband, Louis, was brought to the guillotine in an enclosed carriage. Yeah, I feel like this is not going to be no. her setup. They put her in a wooden cage Ugh. and they pulled her backwards to all the horses, um, which was considered something like extra shameful to have your back to the horses that were pulling you. Um, so this angry mob could basically spit on her and throw things at her. Pull oh my way God. Up to. Uh, this is like a real shame, shame, shame. It is a real shame, shame. shame. <laughs> Ringing a you bell. Know, you know what I mean? But but worse. I, well, no, I guess that all kind of goes down in Game of Thrones, right? They yeah, all start. A little bit. It starts I mean, out kind of more nudity, serious maybe. and then they. Oh my God. Uh, like shit is being thrown at her. She, her feet are bleeding. I mean, that's gnarly. They're basically reenacting exactly what happened to oh, her. Oh, interesting. Here. Yeah. Um, any guesses what Marie Antoinette's last words were? Um. Fuck you. I bet yeah. you would wish it was that, but instead they were, I'm sorry, sir, I did not do it on purpose. Oh, no. Because she'd accidentally stepped on her executioner's foot. Oh, no. Oh, God, that makes me really sad. And the blade comes down and they kill her at 37 years old. God, she was only 37. Only 37. People lived a lot of life in those early years. Her son, Louis Charles, who was tortured in prison. Yeah. He ended up dying two years later in prison. From because like alcohol of, overdose or something? Because of just generally the treatment. God, that is so sad. He was 10. He, he was, was 10. a wee baby boy. Her oldest daughter. Um, how old was she? Uh, you know, I don't know. I didn't look actually exactly how old she was. All right. Um, older older than? Older than him. He was, gotcha. She was the oldest. Gotcha. So, oh, yeah, that's um, right. Oh, Maria Therese? Maria Therese. Yeah. Was the one that survived. Um, but she lived the rest of her life in exile from France. Gotcha. Oh, well, that's a tough road, too. Yeah. So this is all just like the biggest bummer story. So I'm already feeling very sympathetic towards her. Is this when you tell me that I shouldn't be quite so sympathetic? No, because I think that she's, um, it's essentially a case of wrong place, wrong time. I don't think that she was any more frivolous or cruel or unfeeling than any of the other queens before her. She just was queen at a time when people were fed up with that. Gotcha. Um, And so she became the target of, yeah. Everyone's hatred with a, a system that had been in place for hundreds of years. 
I'm really glad we've like stepped away from the guillotine and have moved towards like impeachment. Like, eh, we don't like what they're doing. I mean, not that you can like just easily impeach someone. Right. We've learned this. Yeah. But that's the way of progress. Not like, you know what? Things well, aren't really going great. Let's just, let's kill him, you yeah, know? Right. And his wife. Let's torture his kid. He's only 10. We'll get him drunk first. <laughs> it won't be so bad. Yeah. Um, I will say that uh, the guillotine, aside, interesting fact that the guillotine itself was yeah. that they looked at it as the great equalizer, wow. where they said that previously only members of the nobility that were executed would be beheaded. But they oh. said that this is a clean, painless death, and we're going to give that to everybody to recognize in the ideas of the Enlightenment that we're all equals in gotcha. life and in but death. But they were still torturing people, or is that prior? That was prior. Okay. So people weren't tortured so much during the French Revolution. It was, it was really heads, just heads the guillotine off. was working overtime, just cutting heads off left and right. I mean, lots and lots and lots and of lots heads. Of people died during the French Revolution. Yeah. Again, including Robespierre himself. Yes. Um. So, yeah, that's the story of, of Marie Antoinette. Well, wow. I, I would say that the episode is worth listening to because... This they, was a single episode of the Nobility podcast. The Noble Blood. Noble Blood. Which is going to focus mostly on her being imprisoned right. and what happened after that. Yes. And more details about that. And I would say my sort of like fun thing to maybe get you to actually listen to that one is they go into one of her escape attempts. From the Conciergerie, which is a pretty tragic story as well. So to say, They're it's actually, fun when escape attempts like work. Yeah. It would be very sad knowing like we all know how this ends. And she tried and she almost got there and then didn't. Yeah. There were there were two escape attempts, actually. Oh. One that almost like, succeeded and one that was foiled before it even began. Were there people that were helping her like an mm-hmm. undergrad? Oh, God. This is going to be Handmaid's Tale vibes. Yep. Oh. So there is more information to be had. Oh, um, yeah. But... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's uh, as much as I'll give you right now. Okay. Well, I feel satiated and also sad. Um, which are the feelings I like to go into a break with. So maybe we take a break. <laughs> maybe we take a quick break and we can come back. And I think, Kelsey, you got some laughs for us. Oh, hopefully. I will lighten this right up. We'll see you in a bit. Are we back? Oh, my gosh. We're back. We had some dinner. We had some... Just decadent chocolates. Oh my god! True Marie Shout out fashion. to Trader Joe's dark chocolate sea salt caramel. Holy freaking shit, you guys! I Holy love those things. Freaking shit, so you guys! Much. <laughs> they are the superior chocolate. chocolate. 
I mean, sea salt caramel. Marie Antoinette would be proud. Oh my god. Something tells me she's had a sea salt caramel chocolate in her day. Oh my god. She might have invented the sweet and savory combo. <laughs> And look what we did to her for her it. Sweet and savory life. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna lighten the mood a little yeah, bit. Yeah, lighten us up with a little. the podcast. We need to laugh. That so I was trying to think of what to do. You told me you were gonna do Marie Antoinette, and you're like, you gotta lighten it up because this is gonna be some heavy shit. And I was like, all right. I started digging through my phone because I knew I had a note in my phone. Take like I probably wrote it like nine months ago. I know because you're usually all murder and rape. I know, I know. I have to get out of my normal true crime. Um, And I found this note that I left myself like six months ago, probably, that had four podcasts written on it. Did it say note to self? Note to self. It didn't. It should have. Biggest mistake of my life. Um, So I'm not going to tell you what three of the four are because I'm probably going to need to pull those out at some point in the near future. Oh, yeah. But one of them, God bless six month ago, Kelsey, for writing this down because I've been listening for the last like 24 hours. I've already told half my coworkers because I couldn't wait to talk about it. Uh, it's a podcast called Everything is Alive. Okay. Totally new to me. Okay. You say this now. I've already told you. I'm very worried that you've heard of it because the reason I knew of what this podcast was, I think it was on a radio lab. Okay. Um, you know, radio lab often pulls like little bits of podcasts from other yes. podcasts yes, like yes, they yes. do you know 20 minutes on this one they just take they're like we heard something we really like and we're gonna play a piece of it for you now exactly it was either that or it might have actually been i'm having i'm hearing roman mars it might have been like a 99 percent invisible where do they do that sometimes um you're looking not at me like, I can remember no. specifically but i am not as like up to speed on 99 pi okay for radio lab it's very possible. Right. It okay. Been. It was whatever it was. It was another podcast and they played a clip from this. I thought it was so funny and clever. I wrote it down and then didn't. What was I thinking? I didn't subscribe. I didn't. Oh. I didn't get into it until now. And boy, I have a lot of listening to do because there's more episodes ahead and I am so excited. So the premise of everything alive. Everything is alive. Uh, again, it's a Radiotopia from PRX. Um, the premise is. The host is a man named Ian Chillig. I that last name sounds weird, Chillig, C H I L L A G, which makes me wonder if I'm pronouncing it right or wrong. So we're going to call him Ian. Ian. Host Ian is interviewing an inanimate object, <laughs> and it's them. It's voiced by like a voice actor. It's uh, they said it was like not improv but unscripted, an unscripted conversation with an inanimate object. Okay, so um, is there a guest who's playing the inanimate? It's always object? a guest. Yeah, it's like a guest. I don't know if they're necessarily a comedian, um, though they are really funny. More than anything, the tone is so sincere and genuine. They never break. There's no breaking. Things get really vulnerable sometimes, depending oh. on what the object is talking about. Um, but it's so incredibly heartfelt and actually very like poignant and kind of like shows a lens about like what humans do and what humans are like. Um, this isn't sounding familiar at all. Okay, so well, I'm, I'm very, delighted. Because the premise sounds incredible. I'm so excited it, to hear it. I'm not kidding. It's la- I-, I was laughing out loud it was so funny to hear. And they have like professional improv comedians who are coming in too. Well, see, I don't know if improv, they said it was unscripted, but it doesn't sound like they're not making jokes. It, okay. Like they're really just having a conversation and it just sounds like the kind of, maybe the questions that Ian is asking them have already kind of been established. So maybe they've thought about, because the answers sound fairly thoughtful, like very thoughtful. Um, but it doesn't sound like they're, they're not just reading something. Like it sounds just like a conversation between a person and a thing. You know what I mean? 
Oh, I can't wait to find out. Okay. So um, I just kind of took notes. I listened to, like I said, like a dozen in the last day. And I just kind of took some notes on my favorite. Okay. Um, my favorites. Uh, I'm going to start with, this is the first one available. And this is the one that I listened to on whatever that other podcast was. Radiotopia, 99PI, whatever it was. It's an interview between Ian and Lewis, a can of cola. Okay. And Lewis, the can of cola, specifically his go-to cola, which is off-brand, um, he says that I've been called the best of the worst. Shasta is what I'm thinking of. It's exactly. It's a Shasta, <laughs> but it's called go-to cola. I had my day with Shasta. Oh, what happened? Haven't, haven't we all? <laughs> um, so... Uh, Ian and Lewis are talking and Lewis, he, he asks like, so what's it like, where, what's your, or basically like, what's your origin? Where'd you come from? And Lewis, uh, is giving a, painting a picture of his time before the fridge, which he was in a 24 pack. He went to a birthday party, uh, at a bowling alley. He in the 24 pack and like a lot of his other pack mates got picked, but he didn't. So we went back to the home of the person who hosted the birthday party and just kind of got shoved in the back of the fridge. Mm, he okay. said it got a little icy back there he got slushy for a little bit he got <laughs> it was very cold uh he was then taken on like a road trip like he got pulled out of the back of the fridge put in the cup holder of a car what an what exciting a, day what a day thinking like this is my time wasn't his time they got back he never got drank got back in the fridge okay you watch rick and morty right yes of course of course i'm just the king of the uh the me seeks mr me seeks oh yes our one goal in life is to die yeah <laughs> we must accomplish our task so we can die <laughs> Like exactly right. It's not the that's not the case with every object, but with Lewis the Canicola, that is definitely like. Please just drink me. He has a mission, um, uh, and he says that waiting around to get drunk by someone. He compares it to the story of Robert that Robert Shaw tells in Jaws about the <laughs> Indianapolis, which obviously hearing that wow. was like, oh my god, this is really <laughs> striking a chord. But like how the for sh- all like, of us now they're just waiting. To get picked off, yeah. you know, and the waiting and the waiting. Oh, um, he says that uh, he obviously hopes he's consumed by something that will enjoy it. Um, that it'll be, a, he thinks it'll be a relief when he's finally like cracked open. But he doesn't obviously know what that experience is going to be like. Um, but he does, um, you know, think it'll happen in the middle of the night when he's not expecting it. Uh, <laughs> he said it would be nice to be poured into a frosty mug. Mm-hmm. Um, like on all the commercials, feel like a supermodel. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he said he doesn't think that'll happen, though, because they don't reserve frosty mugs for go-to cola. That's just one of those facts of life. Mm, that's to a real which, Coca-Cola treatment. That's a, that's a Coca-Cola treatment. And then uh, <laughs> Ian cuts in with, how did you see Jaws? <laughs> <laughs> and that was like, he was actually close to getting drunk at the time that the guy... Who owns the house? Who owns the fridge? Who owns Lewis? Was like watching Jaws, but then his wife, like his wife, came out and was like, "You were cutting back on sugar. Like, don't drink that." So back to the fridge he went. Classic wife. Yeah. So then Ian asks, um, says like, "I've dropped a can of a can of soda on occasion. Um, Has this ever happened to you?" And he says, "Oh yeah, it's an awful experience. You feel well, obviously very shaken." Which you feel like a little hyper after the shakeup, and then obviously calm down and get like a little sleepy. Um, he says that after that happens, uh, or Ian says after that happens, like we often tap on like what I guess would be your head. Mm. Um, and Lou says, oh, don't, don't do that. <laughs> uh, it doesn't do anything for the carbonation and it just annoys us in a very sensitive moment. <laughs> 
Okay, this is another thing this is making me think of. Yes, talk to me. Um, man, I wish I could remember what show it was on, but they were talking about humans interacting with AI oh, and robots yeah. especially. Yeah, yeah. And how we can't help anthropomorphizing them too much. Mm-hmm. So much, right? And there was like a robot that they did an experiment where they had a robot that all the subjects were told to do was go put the robot in the closet. Yeah. But when you go to put the robot in the closet, it says, please don't put me in the closet. I'm afraid of the dark. Oh. <laughs> and I watched all the subjects in the experiment. Half of them were like, oh, I am i can't do it. This is like on, <laughs> have you seen The Good Place? Parts. Okay, Janet. Yeah. She's, yeah. I mean, obviously played by an actress, but she's, you know, AI. She yeah. is not a real thing. And like, there's a kill switch to like reset her. And the, the, when they're about to flip the kill switch, she get, like, gets on her hands yeah, right, and she's right. like, don't do it. <laughs> don't kill me. And something is, but she's like, no, no, no. I mean, do what you want. Like, it's I don't feel like, please. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to do it. If a robot was like, please don't put me in there. I'm afraid of the dark. I'd be like, well, I, I'm sorry. I can't do it then. Yeah. I no. know this makes me like, I certainly could. That's I know that terrible. I'm, I'm applying, I'm anthropomorphizing in the way I'm not supposed to, but I wouldn't be able to do it. No, it sounds terrible. Um, okay. So then Ian asks more specifically about his type of can. Cause he's like a pull can, like a pull tab, like a soda, but there are other kinds of cans. Um, and he's like, I don't know if you know any soup cans. It's like, oh, I know a couple soup cans. <laughs> he says, I thank God every day I wasn't born a can of minestrone. Yeah, you gotta get caught open. <laughs> yeah, they were basically saying like, uh, can openers, like a torture device. Um, it's a real C-section of a can pour. He says that like, when they wake up, they have no idea how much time has passed. <laughs> because obviously soup cans have like so much, you know, they can last forever in your pantry. So like, huh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like everyone doesn't really want to talk to the soup cans because they're so weird but like they feel bad admitting that <laughs> be like i was canned in 1982 yeah right <laughs> um i like i poured during the move out totally <laughs> um so the episode so this is what is actually really interesting like there are so many funny moments during these episodes where like they just say these things that like Oh my God. You know, him saying, I, I, I mean, I'm so thankful I wasn't a can of minestrone. Like he's very like, well, yeah, I guess so. Like these things make sense. They're like, I was very shaken when I draw. I mean that I like laugh so hard. Um, but it always, there's like very reflective and poignant moments that like elevate this podcast into something ju- not just like laugh at, like not just for laughs. Um, That's like how we describe David Sedaris. Yeah. Every yeah. time you listen to something David Sedaris does, it's so funny and light and totally. and then he'll like the last sentence he'll say something where you're like oh oh my god we're talking about something really kind of serious and i have to yeah. like now think back on everything i just heard totally and reevaluate it totally it's real kind of a little heavier suddenly yeah. it's like given a, a more weight that's what i think it's genius so in this episode um lewis sort of notes that like he's a couple weeks from his expiration date um and that he like he could go on after that, but it's not recommended, <laughs> right? Um, so Ian says, like, I I could drink you uh, if you want. And Lewis is like, okay. Um, I mean, as long as you finish the can, I'm on board. So there's a moment where you like hear the can open, and I'm invested already. I know. And Lewis is like, okay, like well, that feels that feels good. Like that feels like a relief, you know, a release of something like when the can is opened and then he like has like half the can, he's drinking it. And Lewis is like, Oh, I feel like I'm in two places at once. Like this is, this is pretty wild. 
and he's like, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to keep drinking and he keeps drinking it. Uh, and then Ian finishes and says like, are you still there? And there's no answer. And that's where the episode ends. Right? Uh, Crazy. This is like, oh, oh, oh my God. I'm so invested in this can of cola. It was, that's like probably the weightiest one of them all. Although they all have moments. They all have moments with whatever object. And they talk to a pillow, a lamppost, a bar of soap. I mean, they're talking to everything. And that was I like. I haven't recovered yet. I know. I know. I'm going to make you recover because I'm blown on to the next well, one. Well, I'm just thinking immediately of, will I dream, Dave? Wait, what's that from? 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it. You're okay. going to be a very right. shook look. I think I just saw it last year for the first time. Okay, so, so I don't feel that I bad. I won't. I can't criticize you too much. We're going to take the Space Odyssey and usher that into Emmy the pregnancy test. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Can I ask if there's one about a condom? There's not. Not that I know of. That would be wild. Because I, I heard a story like this, but oh. it was very much scripted. Oh, okay. That was about a condom. And it's life when, like, this, like, 12-year-old boy finds a condom and puts it in his wallet and the life of this condom afterwards. Oh. Anyway, it was actually a very sweet story. Yeah, no, totally. These but are all very sure sweet stories. I wasn't sure it was uh, the same no. show, but I think it's not because it was very scripted. Okay, yeah. This doesn't feel scripted. It feels just like an, you know, an interview. Okay. With a pregnancy yeah, And this definitely wasn't an interview, so different thing. Gotcha. Um, so... Emmy said, Emmy opens, she's the pregnancy test saying, my first memory, I lived in a, it's called Rite Aid. You've heard of it, right? (laughs) (laughs) She was in like the fem, like the feminine care aisle at a Rite Aid. She said that women would come in and like touch all of her neighbors and like read the backs of them. And then like one day she gets, she gets picked up and she gets taken with the lady. Um, And it's, uh, she says, I know eventually if everything goes according to plan, I'm going to get peed on. (laughs) <laughs> which is just Best in the car and she keeps referencing her instructions like they're her <laughs> companion like they're like well it's just i'm not alone i have my instructions you know <laughs> she has some there's someone else there with her this also makes me think of the first time that i read the instructions on a tampon box with yeah a friend of mine in in high school where well, she was be, like that's a harrowing tale <laughs> when, when it you said, are however old push towards your belly button oh oh my god it says that it says that that needs and to get rewritten like, <laughs> Full Linda Belcher. Yeah, absolutely. Not there's anything wrong with feminine hygiene products or normal course of feminine biology. Not at all. But the instructions were a little The belly button has no role (laughs) in inserting a tampon. Yeah. (laughs) Let me tell you. Um... So then Ian, uh, the... Again, the interviewer starts asking her about babies and says, like, now I know you probably don't... You don't interact with babies. Like, that's not... You interact with women, adults. Um, but he was like, so what do you think of babies? What are your, what's your takeaway? Um, she basically says they're like little people who can't do anything. They make, (laughs) they make noise, but they can't really help with anything. Like I've never seen a baby refill the stock of pregnancy tests. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, shout out Maggie. Um, she was a music preschool teacher. Oh, She, she taught music at a preschool for a little while. And she would come home all the time and say, you know, they're just, those kids, they're cute, but they're bad at everything. Yeah. They just suck at like everything. when you look at a child objectively, like if you like, didn't think of it in the context of like, this is like, you know, has the brain the size of a peanut or whatever. Just. Like, what do they do? Everything. They don't really do much. So Emmy says, I understand that they're cute and that people like to take care of something that does nothing. <laughs> that is her understanding of babies. Um, she Profound. says. 
profound. Um, obviously, when the woman takes them, the pregnancy test, there's a three-minute waiting period. Emmy says she's not really sure what to do. It's a, really a third wheel situation. <laughs> and she says, whatever the answer, positive or negative, uh, they don't keep you. You know, like right. she's going to get like, no matter what, this ends with her in the trash can. Um, she said that she'd love to meet the family, even though she knows she won't. Um, in her dream, she'd be in the photo in photos or at least be a charm and a necklace. <laughs> Pea covered stick. <laughs> Doesn't have a very firm grasp on like, you know, outside. hygiene. Exactly. Um, so actually something I didn't mention in the first episode in every episode, there kind of gets to be like a tan, like some sort of tangent. Like the the object brings up something that you're kind of like, I don't know how you know this, which is really funny. Like that guy, it was he mentioned Jaws, but he also mentioned the soda. Like, God, I don't even want to get because it, it was so wild. In this episode, she mentions um, that in the 1960s, frogs were used as a pregnancy test. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah how we know this like almost in every episode there's like this kind of like historical little anecdote that the object seems to know that it's always new information like at first i was like oh this must be made up like this must just be part of the i don't know whatever funny storyline they're coming up with but i think they are real so in the 1960s frogs were used as a pregnancy test um and ian says isn't it crazy to think that you and a frog had the same job (laughs) and she says you never see a pregnancy test on a lily pad you go to a pond we're never there (laughs) (laughs) and then um what's another funny thing that ian does uh throughout he kind of asks her a series of like positive like your your pregnancy test new like positives and negatives yeah so he kind of asks her like yes and no questions like are you scared of ever delivering a false positive she says yes oh Um, she doesn't say positive no she says yes or no Um, i know miss miss opportunity um every once in a while ian has like a joke is my dad proud of me she says, oh, I think you'd have to pee on me to know. <laughs> um, so then he says, is the way humans reproduce weird? Sh- he, she says, yes. Then he asks, are there weirder ways? She says, yes. And then this is one of the, like, well, so. the slugs. It, well, slugs. Great example. But slugs. also in every episode, they make a phone call to an expert. And in this instance, so the question was, are there weirder ways? Yes. They make a phone call to a guy who, um, a guy named George, who talks about a whooping crane named Tex. Tex, for whatever reason, was only attracted to humans and had a preference for dark haired men. Oh. And he talks like, and this was a real story about a guy who like had to figure out ways to like allow this whooping crane to reproduce. But the whooping crane was really only attracted to men. Well, it happens sometimes. I mean, it does. (laughs) 
Um, but in every episode, they always make like a phone, like suddenly like the object brings up, like introduces some sort of tangential comment that then causes the narrator to make a phone call and like talks to somebody, an expert. Yeah. I'll go into what so some of the other phone calls are in the next weird, one. Weird, but I love it. Super weird. And then it kind of just cuts back to the object. Um, Emmy says she feels like a magic two ball. Just yes or no. <laughs> and she wishes she could say more like congratulations or let's hang out after. <laughs> Can I be in the photo, please? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, it's just, and it, like again, it kind of ends with another deep thought, the a yes or no question. Will the world our children grow up in be better than our world today? And she says, yes. Um, and she says, well, there keeps being more and more things in the aisle, you know, in the feminine care aisle, which, you know, is a, she takes as a sign of progress. Yeah. Okay. Which is kind of really a nice thought. Like if yeah. all you know about the world is what you know in the feminine care aisle of a writing. It's expanded dramatically. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, that aisle was probably a lot smaller in the 60s. It just had a bunch of frogs on it. <laughs> and now look at us. Just live frogs and crickets to feed them. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. So the next one was really interesting. I saw this one and was like, I got to click on it. It's Sebastian, Alex, and Alex, the Russian nesting dolls. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, there are two Alexes, Middle Alex and Little Alex. Okay. It's um, like Reply Hall. Huh? It's like Reply Hall. Oh, my God. Alex is abound. Alex Both is CEO. Female Alexes. Oh, okay. Good to know. Um, so, Ian asked them, like, are you one thing, the three of you, or are you three things? And Sebastian, who's the outer Russian nesting doll, um, says he thinks there are three independent things, like Tupperware. Like, you stack up, like, you look at your, cu- your cupboard of Tupperware that is Tupperware. But you know that there are 10 pieces of Tupperware in there. And, um, well, the Alexes uh, disagree. They think they're like, who are we if we're not all together? Like, if someone sees one of us, it's like, where are the others? Where are the rest of you? So they think they're just one. Um, it's make me think of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Very much. <laughs> this is the Holy Trinity of Nesting um, So Sebastian says that he once had a little girl take it. Like, was trying to like steal candy and like put a bunch of candy in him and took him to the other room, which is why he thinks he relates to Tupperware so much. Mm. Um, and he said it was kind of nice that like he had this like little adventure with this little girl. And the Alexes were very sad to hear this. So then Ian asks, what's it like to be separated from the other half? Like when you're open and separated. Okay. Um, and that's when they said it's pretty terrifying and that they never really get used to it. It's like mental angle. Like it's, they were saying it's, you know, when like you hurt, but you can't really specify where it's like that. It's okay. just not fun. And so Ian opens that to like reassemble them cause they were all laid out. So he put them back together and it was, you hear them. They're not really enjoying it. They're a little stressed out, but they get together. So getting put back together is as painful as getting taken apart. Yes. Okay. Well, no. Well, really, it's it's the getting... They didn't really... It was the whole experience was a little bit unsettling, but particularly the separating. And when Ian's about to open middle Alex, suddenly you hear little Alex, who's like the little one, who's like whole. She, doesn't, she can't be separated. She's like, no, don't do it. Open me instead. <laughs> open me. And middle Alex is, we can't open you. We've gone over this. We'd have to saw through you. And, and little Alex is, are you mad at me? Like, no, that's sweet, but you'd get thrown away if we saw it through you. Like, no, little Alex. Like, she's just so, she's like a little kid. Like, she's like, huh, uh, I want to help. Pick me. And then they're like, no. And she's like, are you mad? (laughs) Help. I just want to help. 
So then they put them together. <laughs> And they're, it feels like they're whole when they're all together. It's a very good feeling when they're one inside the other. But they also agree it's kind of like being in a dark room, you know, okay. when you're yeah. one inside the other. Um, oh my very God. much like being in a dark room. Yes. At one point, little Alex says that she was once swallowed and that she felt like an idiot because the whole time she thought she was in middle Alex. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know. And they called the day that she passed the passing day. <laughs> But the funniest part of this one that they're like, you know, fresh and nesting dolls, like you put them on top of one another and you have to like line up the top and the bottom. Like if they have like a tie or like they have buttons, you want to get them situated so they're just straight. Well, they can also be twisted, like a little off kilter. Oh. And Sebastian starts cracking up. Like it's a really fun feeling. It's like you feel a little drunk when this happens. It's, <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, and Sebastian gets twisted the most because he's on the outside. Some recreational twisting my absolutely and sebastian says to little alex like oh you've never felt twisted and little alex says well no i'm not old enough (laughs) and sebastian's like well you'll never be old enough and like yeah you'll always you're always going to be this age so like there's kind of always kind of breaking her little alex's heart because she's like just kind of still figuring things out um i do love middle alex has a real middle child moment which i appreciate she's like i mean Sebastian is he's on the outside so like his paint's coming off because he's like handled all the time and then little Alex she had the passing so they'd like clean her with bleach after so she's a little rough she's like I'm pristine nobody wants to touch me (laughs) and they're like it's really funny again they have these poignant moments where suddenly they're like well I never knew you felt that way she's like yeah like we're together all the time but we've never really had these kind of like we're so close and yet we've never really had these conversations so they just have like a really nice moment of opening up to one another. It is really, really quite sweet to twisting, hear. Twisting, twisting open to one another. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a twist. I mean, things are spilling when you're a little twisted. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, so those are, those are the ones that I wanted to go. Oh, wait, I have one more funny line. Okay, give me one <laughs> that more. I have to say from this episode. So Sebastian says that he likes, he'll lie to them sometimes because he's the only one that can see when he's on the outside. So he'll just kind of like oh. <laughs> make things up. Um. And at one point they actually moved like that. They, they, and he told them it was an earthquake, but they were oh. actually in the moving truck. They were moving to New Jersey and little Alex says, but we're Brooklyn nesting dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, just hearing them, like I can't stress enough how genuine they sound. Yeah. Like there is no smiling between their teeth. Like they are just so authentic. Oh, this sounds like such an interesting idea for a show. So interesting. And all the episodes are like 20, 25 minutes. Super easy listening. Would you um, put these in a passive listening category? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like listening to it while I was at work, but like I definitely wanted to be paying. Like I didn't want to just ignore it. Like I wanted to be yeah. listening because it was so funny. Oh, another example in that episode of these like tangential phone calls they have. So when little Alex says she was swallowed, they then suddenly are on the phone with like a curator of a museum where everything in the museum is swallowed objects. So they're talking to this woman and it's like a museum for this doctor who was like the leading guy in getting things out of people that they that they swallowed. Only swallowed to their mouths. Correct. Because the other way is pretty common too, I hear. Yes. Different, but similar. <laughs> but yes, only mouth swallowed thing. Well, I guess to be fair, they didn't specify. I just kind of, you know, you're hearing like a little person talk about getting swallowed. So I just imagine yeah, just a little person being little um, Alex. Doctors talk a lot about the oh, number of things that people fall on. Yes. They slipped and they fell and landed. You have to be careful. On that race car. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> on that Barbie. 
That's such a weird thing to... I don't want to get into it. Nope. Um, <laughs> I'm down a road. So the last... like I just want to give you more examples of what other objects are. So they have one... Um, it was... In season one, they had Chioki, the grain of sand. Oh. Um, and no. he was just a grain of sand in a some dude's fishbowl. And he said that... Um, you know, he watches fish swim and they'll swim and they'll hit the wall and then they'll think, oh, it must be the other way. So they turn around and go to that wall and they hit that wall like, oh, it must be the other way. And then Ian's like, do you feel sorry for them? He's like, no, not at all. They feel seem like really stupid fish. <laughs> and then later, Chioki comes back in the next season as a pane of glass. <laughs> He's the pane of glass at a zoo separating the chimp enclosure. <laughs> That's so clever. It's so funny. So they, again, there's a really poignant remark that he makes about like trans, like transformation, like comparing um, a caterpillar to a butterfly and that we all have this assumption that like the butterfly is the end goal and that like the caterpillar is just waiting to be the butterfly. But he's like, what if the caterpillar is just like an existential crisis? Like didn't want to be a butterfly, like really enjoyed his caterpillar, like cocoon experience. Just like, oh, well, that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. I Okay, but it does make me immediately think of yesterday. I saw a butterfly and I was telling my friend Alex about my friend Katie down in Long Beach. Whenever she would see a butterfly, she's like, they're not graceful flyers. Oh, no, very erratic. And she would do this voice all the time when she'd go, whoa, 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 (laughs) yeah, yeah, ah, whoa. (laughs) And if you think about that, when you watch a butterfly flying around, totally so funny. Absolutely. They're very, I mean, they're all over the place. They're zigging and zagging. They don't do straight lines. Um, And then the last, I wrote one note. So I have like little blurbs of my notes for all the different ones I listen to. The only note I have for Tara, the bar of soap, is fucking body wash. (laughs) And most all of them are like, no one swears. Like, they're very polite. The objects are, like, very polite. <laughs> but Tara was a real force to be reckoned with. I can't, body I can't wash. wait to listen to the show. It, I'm not kidding. Everyone is more delightful than the next. Like, Man. this is just so funny to think about. And, like, it's perfect for that, like, kind of passive listening where you're, like, you're doing dishes or something like that. Oh, exactly. And you're exactly. going to, like, maybe miss a word here or there. And it's not a big deal. Totally. Like, you're not, there's no storyline. There's not really a narrative. I mean, in the beginning, they set up like what got them where they are, but not that that's really that important. It's just mostly like these inner, like these questions. And they're kind of be like as involved as you want to be. Exactly. That's fun. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's so delightful. And I, I think there's maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 episodes a season and only two seasons out right now. I don't know how often they release episodes. I hope it's like every week because I, when I run Can't out, I'm going to want more. Yeah. Because this is so different than anything I've ever listened to. It's so different than anything I think out there, right? That sounds wild. Yeah, I don't. Again, I heard one story about the condom, but it was not like, it wasn't an interview. Right. It was just a condom telling its life story. Gotcha. I mean, that would be a Where he thinks he's tale. a balloon for a little while. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, you're not. And also has this really poignant, like, coming of age thing. Yeah. About it's it. like, it's really beautiful. Huh. You just think about the life cycle of these things and yeah. the things they've seen and the things they're going to do and want to do and what they think about, what they observe in people. It's really something that's very sweet about it. Yeah. And just like kudos to all the actors, including Ian, the guy interviewing them. Like he doesn't break. It's all very. And they ask him questions, you know, and it's just like, huh. I don't know. It just makes you think it's really very special. It's very delightful. 
Oh, I love that. Yeah. So again, that is Everything is Alive um, from Radiotopia. Okay. Well, fantastic. I can't wait to check that out. Yeah. I think we'll take another quick break and we both got a couple of fun facts. We're going to come back with you. We're going to come back with those. Yes. Great. We are back. And like we said before the break, we have a couple of fun facts that we learned in the last week we want to share. I'm going to go first. And mine um, comes from our old friends over at 99PI. Love those friends 99% Invisible, who are people who aren't so familiar yet. Noobs. Um, and they did a pretty recent episode called The Universal Page, Ooh. which was basically documenting the history of... The struggle to bring reading to the blind mm. and all the different ways that people tried to create a way for blind people to read books. Right. Before, I mean, like this led to the invention of Braille. So Braille is named after a guy named Louis Braille. Oh. And they developed that out of a military system called nocturnal reading where they wanted the military to be able to read in the dark. Oh. And so that's what started it. And Louis Braille developed that into what we think of the Braille system now. But there were actually 50 years of competing tactile reading systems in Whoa. the U.S. called the War of the Dots. Oh, my God. That is so cool. I know. Never would have thought of that. Me but of either. course. Like, they just always the, people these had would different develop, ideas about, You know, in different countries, different people trying to come up with the same solution. And then there can only be one. Yeah. And the Universal Page was one of these systems. And there's one guy who wanted to bring the world of the blind and the sighted together. And he's like, every book should be printed with raised letters. So yeah. that it can be read if you can see it or you can feel the raised well, letters. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It just turned out it was too expensive was to saying, produce books that way. And though. so it just didn't really catch mm-hmm. on. And mm-hmm. so we ended up with the Braille system. And I just blew my mind. It was Well, such... that's a very fun fact. And they talk about the invention of audiobooks and how that kind of developed over time and i don't know the whole thing was so cool i wonder if like the braille publications have declined since audiobooks i would imagine so but maybe not yeah i don't i don't know i mean i actually live down the street from the braille institute of Stop la it. that's in los Feliz. so I, I every time like you go to a hotel and there's your hotel number and there's like the braille dots i always try to touch it thinking like could i figure this out 0.00 chance it <laughs> absolutely requires an institute or um, like on the sidewalk, when the sidewalk dips before you go into a crosswalk, yeah. you, those raised, dotted, textured pieces of yellow plastic. Oh, yeah. Those are there for blind people to know that they're at the edge of the sidewalk. Stop it. So that they know when they're going into an intersection. Oh, my God. Face palm. That's brilliant. Right? I did not know. And one of the criticisms of American money is that all our bills are the same size. And so if you're blind, you don't know what bill you're holding well fucking a cotton i mean that makes sense why european like the euros australian and canadian yeah everyone but us everywhere else pretty much the bills are different sizes in america yeah and they're made of not paper (laughs) yeah euros are but australian and canadian money is made of plastic they can't rip which is really cool yeah i've ripped a couple dollars in my day me too tip back together you're fine yeah i think it's something like as long as 75 percent of the bill is still there it's legal tender still oh I don't know why I love calling money tender. Legal tender. Legal tender. <laughs> well, okay. that is very fun uh, fact. So that was 99PI, the universal page. 
Gotcha. Um, my fun fact comes from a little podcast called Everything's Alive. <laughs> <laughs> Heard of it. Well, Dennis the Pillow had a very fun fact that I just wanted to share. <laughs> After he said, you don't have to be foam to have memories. <laughs> That's not my fun fact, although it is fun. Could have been your favorite line of the week, but... Um, I know. So this is a twofer. That's my favorite line. Here's my favorite fact. Um, so he was saying that centuries ago, kings of different countries. This is actually, I was when you were giving me the Marie Antoinette, I was so excited because this is ties right of in. nobility. Um, kings of different countries would actually share a night in the same bed to show that their countries like were unified and got along. Hot. Um, huh? Hot. Oh, real hot. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so they said that like, King Richard the Lionheart of Britain shared a bed with King Philip II of France. Again, just to show everyone that they got along. And true to this podcast nature, like the poignant remark that Dennis sort of makes is like, imagine if people still did that, you know, like different political leaders, countries' leaders still spent a night together that like kind of show you see who someone really is in these moments where like they're you're alone which you're, you're at your absolute most vulnerable totally and dennis was like you know what if you see that you like both use unflavored listerine like oh we have this in common like we're not so different and maybe i want to like i have better intentions with our in with our interactions yeah, I love that. It was just really nice. So that's a fun fact. I didn't know that uh, no nobility idea. that came never... shared beds for a night. Yeah, I've never heard that before. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I bet it got pretty weird sometimes. Pillow. We don't need to go into details, but every once in a while, you know it. By weird, you mean awesome. Yeah. <laughs> every once in a while, I got pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. <laughs> um. Yeah. So again, that is everything is alive. <laughs> everything is alive. I really loved it. Cool. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week on So I Heard This Interesting Podcast. Kelsey, where can they find us in the meantime? They can find us on Instagram at sit up and listen, S-I-H-T-I-P and listen. They can also shoot us an email at sit up and listen at strawhutmedia.com. Also, sit up at strawhutmedia.com will work that's as right. well. We they both. both go to us if, you, if you've got carpal tunnel and you want to do all that typing. We are produced by Ryan Tillotson and Will Sterling, edited by Sebastian Alcala. We're part of Straw Hut Media, and we'll be back in your feeds next week. Have a great night, or day, or whatever. Or week. Week. Week.